This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. series on the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, but let me just start with the, this observation. We're all basically uh, are ladder climbers. We're all ladder climbers. Um, uh, I know that my dad once was uh, trying to paint the roof uh, of our house and uh, the ladders that he had had wheels which were meant to roll the ladder up the wall so that, and then he had a nice fixed base. But my dad, being the king of DIY, put the wheels... <laughs> <laughs> on the bottom, and uh, he always had a very big Roman-type nose, uh, but it became increasingly large when he smashed his face on the concrete. Um, so yeah, but we're all ladder climbers, but metaphorically we're all ladder climbers as well. We're all uh, trying to uh, get to the top. I mean, the career ladder is the obvious one. Uh, we don't mind uh, perhaps who we get over, who we climb over. I, I don't know who's, what, what this is. The, this is probably corporate banking. Um, where they're trying to kind of climb the career ladder, do the best they can. But in every, every sphere of life, we're, we're always comparing. Uh, I remember um, a couple of things about comparing. Uh, comparison is the enemy of joy, said an American president. But actually, comparison is the enemy of joy when you always compare up. People have always got a better car. Their kids are better behaved. They earn more money. Their church is larger. Whatever, we're always comparing up, we're always comparing uh, uh, up, because we, we've got this natural instinct uh, to, to ladder climb. I remember listening to an Alpha talk, um, Alpha's a course for people that are looking into Christianity, and the guy w- that was doing the talk is an artist called Charlie Mackesy, a really interesting uh, creative artist, and he had a friend who worked in the city, and uh, they were out at the pub one evening, and this friend had given himself working hard in the city for maybe 10, 12 years, and... Um, he said to Charlie, he said, I've been climbing the corporate ladder all my life. And he said, but when I got to the top, I realized there was nothing there. And, and, I, and I think that because none of us have really ever got to the top of what we're trying to falsely climb towards, we, we probably still think, no, you know, if I had dot, 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 if my church was amazingly huge and I had international preaching ministry around the world, then I would be happy. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Thankfully, I'm never going to get to the top. But what you find, shockingly, is people that have those things, they, they do stupid things when they get to the top of the ladder. They realize there's nothing there. And we're all kind of ladder climbers. And I think this, this tendency to climb is, uh, I'll make our way, as it were, stairway to heaven. I won't play the guitar rift. If you've seen the film Wayne's World, no stairway to heaven. Thank you, Mike. No stairway to heaven. Uh, but, but we've always been building a stairway to heaven. In fact, right at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 11... Uh, and verse 4 uh, describes the attempt of humans, that is Shanghai by the way, no political comments at all, just picked a nice interesting tall building. It says, come, the, the men uh, of the city said, come let us build a city with a tower that reaches the heavens so we'll make a name for ourselves. 
We're always looking to build high, to reach to the heavens, to make a name for ourselves. And interestingly, uh, uh, Babel or Babylon means the gateway to heaven. It's almost this, this city or this, the Tower of Babel that, that men were building in their own image um, was this kind of sense of we want to get to heaven. We want to make a name for ourselves. We want to make ourselves like God. And that's the story right through the Bible. And, and people have been climbing uh, ever since, and we still continue to climb. So we're going to look in our series of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, we're on to Jacob. And um, uh, Jacob, you probably know where I'm going. We're going to find a ladder in this story. But Jacob is the archetypal ladder climber. His, uh, his name uh, means uh, grasps the heel. Uh, he's uh, been climbing right from the beginning, even when he was in the womb. He was climbing. Uh, he was determined to make sure that he got out before his brother Esau. He failed to do so, but he's holding on tightly to his heel. Um, and uh, grasp the heel is a little bit of a, a kind of, if you know the phrase, pull the wool over someone's eyes. Um, it's the sort of Hebrew equivalent of deceiver. But this, this kind of grasping deceiver was Jacob, and he's, that's the, that was his climbing method. He was going to make sure that he was going to get higher than his brother Esau and then whoever else got in his way. And his way was to do that was to tell lies and to grasp the next thing that was there. So when Esau comes in, we heard about this um, last week, when Esau comes in, his older brother comes in uh, from hunting, uh, Jacob deceives him and says, sell me your birthright for a bit of stew. But we're really well challenged by Adam when he said, what are we selling out our birthright as children of God for? Because there's that sense we want to climb. And, and, and then the next thing we heard was that actually he deceives him and his mother, uh, Rebecca, deceive their father, Isaac, uh, 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 to get the blessing. So he deceives, he's working his way up. He think, right, I've got the birthright, now I'm going to get the blessing, and, I, and I'm going to deceive my father out of my brother's uh, Esau's blessing. He's constantly grasping the next rung of the ladder and deceitfully climbing. And... Um, and this has gone quite well for him, but actually we're going to find that actually it's going to turn quite bad because his, his brother Esau decides, I'm going to kill him. My dad's old, but when my dad goes, that's it. He's going to kill him. So what happens is the, 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 the situation gets uh, critical. So what does he do? He finds a nice deceitful way out. He says to his mom, this is what's happening. Uh, Esau's going to, or I can't remember if mom says to Jacob or Jacob says to mom, but basically they have a conversation that says, oh, the elder brother Esau's going to kill you. So what do they do? They find a nice deceitful plan. So what happens is they, um, they basically, Rebecca goes in and mo- moans to, to her husband, oh, you know, Esau's married these horrible Hittite women and, you know, uh, I, they, they make me sick and why has he done that? And then what happens is, lo and behold, Isaac says to, brings Jacob in and says, why don't you go and run away? And he finds a really nice, valid reason for him to run away. The basically, he's hightailing for his life, but, he, but his, his, his mom and him find a nice, deceitful way to make it look to his father like he's not on his way. And says, so we pick up the story in Genesis 28. It'll come up here. It says, take a wife. This is Isaac blessing his son again after he's deceitfully kind of made this little uh, reason for him to be uh, heading for the hills. Take a wife for yourself from, from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase in numbers. May you become a community. Actually, that is the first time we hear the kind of word church. It means a a gathering of God's people. Become a community of peoples. 
may he give you and your descendants the blessing he gave to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. So again, this blessing, this same blessing of land and prosperity and people, he kind of gets it, get it again. So he's feeling really good about this. He's made another climb up the ladder. His father's blessed him again. But then he has to head out and run for his life. And I thought about this and I thought, actually, if you're a liar your lies will always find you out. Maybe not in this life, (laughs) but they will find you out. But often your lies will find you out in this life. If you've tried to hold the world together by telling a half-truth here and a lie there and a little lie there, sooner or later it's all going to come crashing down on you. Most practically, perhaps most obviously, is when people are deceitful in their marriages. And there's a a little romance on the side or there's a little affection on the side and there's lies and cover-ups and deceit when it blows it's not nice and this all blows for Jacob he's uh, been grasping and deceiving all his life and he's on the run and we pick it up again later in Genesis 28 I'm going to read the uh, uh, section right through from verse 10 and it says Jacob left Beersheba that's the 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 place where they were living with his father Isaac uh, and his mom and set out for Haran Haran is the place where uh, Abram had originally been. When he stopped halfway with his father, uh, with his, uh, his father, they stopped halfway, and that's kind of where they were. So it's called different places, but basically Haran or Pada, Aram, or whatever. But basically he's heading back to the place where uh, he'd come from to get a wife. And he says, uh, when he reached a certain place, that word actually is quite interesting. It's like, is that a random place or is it a specific place? And I think it's deliberately ambiguous. The NIV says, a certain place. He stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway or a ladder reaching, uh, uh, resting on the earth and its top reaching to heaven. And the angel of God, angel of God were, were ascending and descending on it. There above it, again, and it's quite ambiguous, was it above or beside? There above it or beside him stood the Lord... And he said, I am the Lord God, the God of your father uh, Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you, and he gets this blessing again. I will give you the descendants, uh, give your descendants the land in which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you'll spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed for you and your offspring or seed. That's one person. I will be with you. And I will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have done all I I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? Uh, This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it as a pillow or altar and poured oil on top of it. He called the place Bethel, which means the house of God, though it used to be called Lutz. It's interesting, it's on the run. Uh, nighttime comes. Normally, if you were on the run in this countryside, I don't think it was as highly populated as it is now, but there's a suggestion that there was a city nearby called Lutz. He doesn't go in there to, fu- to get hospitality, the northern, kind of Middle Eastern, Near Eastern hospitality, which you would expect because he's a fugitive. He's basically on the run and he's alone. And if you're self-sufficient and you try and manage things and you try and lie and you try and grasp, in the end you will find yourself on your own. 
When you need help, no one will help you. If you've climbed over everybody else, if you've lied to everybody else, if you've managed your way through life, sooner or later when crisis comes, you will find yourself on your own. And he finds himself on his own. Phil Moore in his uh, nice little commentary on Genesis says this, placing a stone as an uncomfortable pillow for his head. Jacob lay down expecting, and I like this, the fitful sleep of those who think their safety begins and ends with themselves. It's really profound because actually I think control is a really interesting thing. Uh, if, if, you, if you're a controlling person, you're always exhausted. If you're trying to control the world, if you're going to try and control everything around you, you will always be exhausted. Because actually, you're trying to, you're trying to play God. You're trying to say, I am going to manage everything around me. And I think that at this point, Jacob is incredibly fearful. That the suggestion that actually the stone that he put as a, uh, as a pillow actually maybe have been put around as a little kind of little wall around his head to just guard his head because he's just so worried he's going to be attacked maybe by wild animals or people or whatever. And he's, he's just nervous. And, and I think if you don't sleep well, sometimes there's medical reasons why you don't sleep well. I, I have to take something to help me sleep because I've got this hip problem and it's painful. But I know there's times when I've been perfectly well and I've not slept, slept well. And I, must, I heard somebody talk once about sleep. And, and, he, and he said this, he said, sleep is the profound declaration that God, not you, is in charge of the universe. Because when you lay down, you're out of it. But God still continues to hold the universe together. God still continues to still hold it all together. And Steve Moe, as he's on... Uh, uh, Chief Stewart today says, oh, you know, is the church going to be still here when you get back? I said, well, I'm not bothered. <laughs> no, because I'm not bothered, because ultimately I'm not in charge. God's in charge. And if you think that God is in charge, you can sleep better. Ultimately, you can sleep better. He expects the fitful sleep of those who think that everything begins and ends, safety begins and ends with himself. And then he has this dream, a stairway to heaven. He said he had a dream in which he saw a ladder or stairway resting on the earth with the top reaching heavens and the angels were ascending and descending on it and there above it or beside it stood the Lord. It's interesting that, that this, this, we know what earth is like. We can see this kind of ladder, as it were, feet on the earth, but it's stretching into heaven. And it's funny, we, we often think about heaven and you think, well, what is heaven like? What is heaven is it an address? Is it, is it a place? What is heaven like? And, 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 and I remember once on, a, on an Alpha course, somebody said to me, well, I don't do heaven. And I think our society doesn't really do heaven in that sense. We don't really have an idea what heaven is. We kind of talk kind of wistfully about, oh, you know, so, so, and so, and so, looking down upon us. Or I bet he's, you know, George Best, I bet he's enjoying some nice football in heaven. Or we have this kind of idea of this kind of cloudy, fluffy, retirement village, you know, a bit like San Diego. Uh, you know, we've got this idea that it's just kind of like, yes, nice. No, God's never a part of the picture. It's just this lovely place where everybody goes, regardless. I mean, the other alternatives we think, oh, we're just chemicals, we don't go anywhere. And, and, but nobody says that at funerals. They might think that, but nobody says that at funerals. Nobody says, well, that's been great, they're in chemicals now, they'll be recycled soon, and you might find them in your cornflakes. Nobody says that, do they? <laughs> They'll say, oh, they're having a better life now, and it's all lovely now, isn't it? And it's all this kind of, we really don't have a clue what heaven is like. 
But actually, I don't think the Bible even talks about heaven as, as, as a place in itself. It's not a destination. Remember, uh, Yuri Gagarin, who was the first man in space, Russian communist, atheist regime, first man in space, flew uh, out into his atmosphere and said, well, I can't see God here. Well, his misunderstanding is wrong because heaven's not like a time in time and space up here. It's not actually a time and space thing anywhere. It's not a, and, it, and it's certainly not this kind of retirement village that you go to when you die, that everybody goes to when you die. Actually, heaven is where the place, is really, if it's got a description, it's the place where God dwells. It's the place where God is. It's the place where, 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 where God in all his glory dwells, where life is found, where light is found. And so we've got this vague idea about heaven, uh, and we think, well, everybody goes there, or really we don't do heaven. And actually, in the beginning, it was true that God and man were together. In the beginning, uh, the story talks about God, uh, God and man being together. That God dwelt with mankind. That, that Adam, the first man, he says, walked with God in the, in the garden. And in one sense, he was in heaven. He was in paradise. He was in heaven. He was, God dwelt with man. There was a sense where, where, God, where God was, that garden that God get, stooped down and planted, almost as a little taste of heaven. It's a place where God dwelt, and God and, and man were to be together in that garden. But I like to use this photo, this photo of, of kind of the grasping humanity. Uh, I say it with a good Yorkshire accent, grasping. I don't know how you say it, grasping, is it? It doesn't sound as grasping. It's kind of grasping humanity. And here we've got Jacob, who's a grasper, but yet we've got right at the beginning, humanity is this grasping humanity. Instead of saying, I love being with God... They reach out and grasp autonomy. They reject God and grasp autonomy from God. And what happens is that they're they're kicked out. They're exiled from the the life of God, from the presence of God. They're they're exiled into a life that we now know, full of arthritic pain and, and toil and hard work, and we want to go on holiday, and death, slow death. They're exiled from that place, as it were. From, from the garden, they're exiled from God's presence and they're kicked outside. And, and actually, just to make it clear that this is not just a temporary thing, there's an angel, uh, uh, the Bible talks about an angel with a flaming sword, it's almost like a, the, the, there's an angel with a sword guarding the gate. We've had gate before, we're guarding this gate to the garden, you cannot come in. And if you come in, you can only come in under pain of death. You come in, um, you will be slaughtered, you're separated. So what we've got is separation between heaven and earth. We've got this separation between where God is and where man is. And that's probably where we expect that. Because if you don't know Jesus, then you think, well, where is God? It's like this, if you lived in Manchester, I lived in Manchester for, for some years, and, uh, and I know some of you Americans feel this about Cheltenham, but you should try Manchester. I lived in Manchester for a number of years, and I, I think for the first four months, we didn't see the sun at all. I mean, it's just cloudy. I mean, I hate it now when it's kind of, it's supposed to be summer, I wouldn't see the sun. Cloudy. If you were born in Manchester, <laughs> and you lived all your life in Manchester, and you, you'd, you'd struggle to think there actually is a thing called the sun. <laughs> But yet the sun is there, and if you, don't, if you don't know Jesus, you can think, well, is there a God at all? Because you've got this cloudy separation. Isaiah says your sins or your iniquities have separated you from God. He won't hear you. You can't see him. So we think, well, God's far, far away, or he's really not in part of the picture. 
But the truth is this tragic separation of heaven and earth is part of the story that we're in. God and man are separated by sin. So this ladder, I think, for Jacob is like an invitation to climb. He doesn't see it as, oh well, heaven is separated from earth. I think he sees it as an invitation to climb. He thinks, right, fine, I'm quite good at ladder climbing. I've made three or four runs. I, I can go the whole way myself. I can climb the whole way to heaven. And actually, I think that, that m- m- religion is that. That's what religion is. Religions think, well, if I do the right th- sort of thing spiritually, then, then I can climb the ladder and eventually I'll get to heaven. God will say, yeah, well done, well done, well done, and we'll get to heaven. Jacob's this ladder climber, and we know he values the things of God, that Esau didn't value the things of God, Jacob values the things of God, and, and he's this ladder climber, so he just sees a ladder, and I bet he thinks, great, I'm going to climb my way up, that's what I'm after, I'm going to climb all the way there. And I know I'm taking this verse out of context, and I'm not even going to explain how I'm doing it, but, but, uh, but Jesus talks about heaven, hell, and earth, and he talks about there's a chasm, it's actually between heaven and hell, but I'm not going there, but there's a chasm, It says, there's a chasm that no one can cross. There's a chasm, as it were, between heaven and earth that no one can cross. Nobody can get to God by just nice good works and nice nice ladder climbing. God is not going to be kidded by your pretense. I'm I'm trying not to look at anyone. I look at Paul. Kidded by your pretense to be really spiritual and holy. He's going to know right through. You know, God's, and we've got this idea, we think we can climb the ladder. But actually, I think it's quite ironic that Jacob's posture, lying flat on his back in the dust, gave a really clear indication how absurd it was for him to think he could reach God by his own efforts. That is actually a picture of a refugee on a beach, a rocky beach in Italy. Syrian refugee on a rocky beach in Italy. And that's what Jacob was, a refugee, lying in the dust, no one to help him. And it's ridiculous that he thinks he can make his way to heaven. Now you not, might not be a refugee lying in the dust thinking it's impossible, I can't even stand. But the reality is you're in the same boat. You cannot make your way to God. There is no way you can make your way to heaven. There's a chasm that no one can cross. But interestingly, what's going to happen is actually that somebody is crossing this chasm. Even as he dreams, God is crossing this chasm. And he says to him, I will give you. You want to grasp for yourself. You got it all wrong. I will give you. God's going to show Jacob that unlike his grasping hand, God's hand is always open to bless We're trying to make our way to heaven. But he is God. Come with Jacob and say, look, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you what you're striving for, what you're struggling for. I'm going to give it to you for free. In fact, Jacob's no prodigal returning home. I must go back to my father. He's no pilgrim on a journey to find God. He's he's, He's running away. God comes to him in his grace and says, I will give you. I am the Lord the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, and I will give you. We'll jump that next slide, Rich. But it's interesting, I've already told you really, but where is God in the dream? Where is God in this dream? And I, I think it's sort of almost deliberately ambiguous. I, I mean, some people may say, oh well, 
Depends how you read it. Is it this, this source here? Or is it this source here? I don't really do all that. But basically, it, some translations say that God is above the ladder, almost like, as it were, in heaven, looking down. And I guess that's, if we thought about God, that's where most of us would think that God would be. If you said, if you said to the kids, well, this is a ladder between heaven and earth. Where does God live? They'd go, lives at the top of the ladder, doesn't he? On, in heaven. God looking down on us. And that's probably how we see God. We see him kind of distant and looking down on us. And almost you could probably hear him sneering in 21st century language. Well, to be honest, Jacob, you know, you've really got no chance of getting up here. But I look down at your pitiful state and, you know, feel a little mercy. But no, I'm not getting involved. And maybe that's how we see him. But actually, I think that, that, that some translations say he's at the bottom of the ladder. God's beside him. Well, come on, God, where are you? Are you here? Are you here? Are you in heaven or on earth? Where, you know, where, where are you dwelling? But actually, we know that, that he dwells in both. The God of heaven has come down. The God of heaven has come and dwelled alongside us. He lives alongside us. He stands beside us. And we look up at the ladder and think, it's impossible. I cannot climb to heaven. I can't get to God. John 3 uh, 13, uh, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. We talked about him some, some months back. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, a religious person who's basically done all the right stuff and probably thinks, well, I'm going to get to heaven. I can climb my way to heaven. Same sort of approach. And, and Jesus says this, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. There's nobody going up. There's just a guy coming down. There's just God taking human flesh and coming down and living amongst us, living in the dust amongst us. It's quite funny, isn't it, that, that, that Abraham had been promised the dust, your descendants will be like dust, but here's one of his descendants lying in the dust. But God comes down into the dust, takes on human flesh, stands beside us, and he's saying that actually... Now there's a chance. God's beside us and heaven is as it were here. There's a way we can go. And, and Jesus talking to uh, a guy called Nathaniel in uh, John chapter 1. Um, Nathaniel was, uh, he says, interestingly about Nathaniel in John chapter 1, he says, here is a true Jacobite or a true Israelite. It's Jacob's, Israel's Jacob, same person. Here's a true Jacobite or here's a true Israelite. And does anyone know it says, in him there is no, no deceit? Which story are we talking about here? Who's the really deceitful one in this story? Oh, we know who the true Jacob is. He's really the deceitful one. Actually becomes Israel. The undeceitful one. Hopefully Paul's going to take us there in a couple of weeks. But, he says, there is no, he is a true Israelite and is there is no deceit. And he says, you believe because you saw me under the fig tree. And then he adds this strange verse. It says, Jesus had asked, said very truly. That means when, when Jesus says very truly, it doesn't mean actually the other times I've been lying. This is true. Do you know what it's like when people say, to be honest? I've realized I keep saying, to be honest. And I think I, I, was, I was playing with Mark Rayfield the other day and I said, to be honest. And he said, well, do you lie to me normally? <laughs> it's very Mark. <laughs> I said, no, no, no. I mean, so, so he said, what you really mean is in reality. But, but when Jesus says, to be honest, or it truly, truly, he's not mean I lie normally. He means take, this is really, you know, very important. Listen up. Very truly, I tell you, 
you will see heaven open. Oh, very Jacob-like. And the angels of God ascending and descending on, read it, Son of Man. He's, he's the ladder. The, the hero of our story every week in this theater, he's the ladder. Oh my word, here it is. How can I get to God? The God who's come down and shared our humanity. He's the way. He's the way to God. He's the ladder. Let's climb. Let's climb together. But actually, he doesn't even ask him to climb because Jesus is going to show how you get from earth to heaven. So Jesus is going to show us how it's going to happen. It says in uh, uh, John 14, famous verse, verse 6, it says, I am the way, I'm the ladder, and the truth, and the life. No one can get to the top of the ladder. No one can come to heaven. No one can come to God the Father except by me. You can't make it any other way. It's a chasm too far to cross. Impossible. But I have come the seed of Abraham, to make a way. Peter puts it like this in his letter, 1 Peter 3, 18. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous, the top of the ladder guy, for the unrighteous, the bottom of the ladder guys, that he might bring us to God. So he's, what we do when we break bread is we're celebrating that, that, that moment. We're celebrating that he shared our broken humanity, that he came and lived and dwelt in the dust with us, and his body was broken. He, as it were, took on the angel with a flaming sword and was slain. But he was slain, and when he was slain, the curtain was torn. The gate was opened. The gate to heaven was opened. It says in that great hymn, doesn't it, there, there is a Grinhill far away. It says, only he could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. Only he could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. That's why we celebrate this story. So what promises does God make to us as we, as it were, stand as the ones impossible cannot climb, but he has said, come and I will take you. Where do we end up seated in, in, in Paul's letters? We don't end up seated in the dust. We're made from the dust, but we don't end up seated in the dust. We end up where? Thank you. Seated with God in heavenly places. You don't have to climb the ladder. Jesus takes you there when you're united with him. When you say, your flesh, your death is my death. Your life is my life. But God makes promises to, to, to Jacob that are pretty relevant for us. He says, I think he makes a promise of the presence restored. He says this, and I tried to emphasize it in my reading. I, is all this personal pronoun, I will give you. I am with you. I will watch over you. I will bring you back to this place or this land. I will not leave you until I've done all that I have promised you. So as Jacob's heading off from the land, the promise is he's going to be brought back to the land. But I think the promises for us are much bigger than that. It's not like you're going to move out of this place and I'm going to bring you back to this place. What he's saying is, I think God says to us, I will give you heaven. In fact, I'm going to be heaven with you. 
I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to that place. That place where God and man dwell together. That wonderful place of life and blessing. That's where I'm going to bring you. I'm the guarantee. My death has guaranteed it. My resurrection has guaranteed it. I am bringing you back. And until then, I will never leave you until I've done all that I've promised you. That's what he says to us. If you're a Christian, he's saying, I'm going to never leave you until I've done all I've promised you. I'm going to bring you back to that place of my presence. In fact, I'm going to be with you while I'm bringing you back to that place. Genesis 28 says, Jacob awoke from his sleep and thought, surely the Lord is in this place. It's that same word again, certain place. Seemed like an insignificant place. But now it's this place, a significant place. The Lord was in this place and I was not aware, aware of it. I was afraid, he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? That's that word again. How awesome is this place? This is none other than Bethel or the house of God. This is the gay of heaven. He doesn't choose his words casually. This is, this is what God, man was trying to do in that tower of Babel. God has done in Jesus He's dwelt amongst us. Heaven has come to earth. This, this place, this dusty place, is where God dwells now. And, and this dusty place is the stairway to heaven, the gate to heaven. And early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar or an altar and poured oil on top of it. It was like anointed it. Phil more brilliantly puts it like this. Surely the Lord is in this place. He says, when thinking of that passage, surely the Lord is in this place, I'm not aware of it. It says, for the first time, Jacob realizes God is more than a blesser to be courted. We do that, don't we? When you pray, God give me this, God give me this, God give me this, give me the next rung of the ladder. I like a house, please. I like a wife, husband, please. I like kids, please. I like... This job, please. I like this, this. God's the blesser to be. We stay near God, everything's going to be fine. He's just going to bless you. Some churches, that's all they talk about. It's only half the story. God does bless. But he's not the just, the blesser to be courted. He is an ever-present helper to be trusted. When you're on your own, when you're on the run, when everything's unraveled for you, when your sin has found you out, he is the one to be trusted. The Lord, and then he says, uh, Fillmore writes brilliantly, the Lord was with me all along. He gasps in sudden realization. I was just too self-absorbed to ever notice he was there. We often talk, don't we? We say, oh, you know, we want God's presence to come. Some churches talk about it more than others. God, come by your presence. Will you come? Will you be present here? And I understand what they're saying. And then you get other people say, hey, but God is here all the time. We sing that song, I'm waiting here for you. And people say, he's here all the time. Now, is it that he's not here or he is here? Well, actually, there's a sense where sometimes we're so self-absorbed, we don't know he's here. Any place, any place, any dusty old country place, any old dusty room, what you think is not significant, God can be there. 
That's called having your quiet time, or whatever you call it, isn't it? But we don't believe it. I think, I've got to head to this conference. There's more people, the band's better, the light show's better. And we miss that. We think, well, then there's then's God, God's place. Yes, as I know, there's a sense where, God, where, where people gather to worship, God loves to be there. But actually, there's a sense where, actually, we could come and we can evaluate the Sunday morning and say, well, it was a decent Sunday, or my friends weren't here, or well, the tea was nice, or not. Paul did a good job, Howard had his shirt out, made a few mistakes. So self-absorbed, we don't realize, hey, God's here. God's here. We're going to land it down in a moment. We're going to break bread together and, and worship. But let me just pick up three things that... that, that Jacob does. God's presence, heaven on earth, leads us to the awareness of sin. He says, I was afraid. God was in this place, I didn't know it, and I was afraid. How awesome, scary is this place. The thing is, when you encounter God, you're going to be aware of your sin. We know that when Peter, the first, one of the first disciples that was called they do this miraculous catch of fish, and Jesus says, come on over, Peter. And he says, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. If you encounter the presence of God, the very first thing you will be aware of is that you are not able to fit yourself for heaven, to climb the ladder. You're dust dwelling on your back, incapable of anything. You're scared because of your sin. And rightly, we should be. But that is not where we stay. That's not where Jacob stays in the story as he moves on, and that's not where we stay. Because actually, from, from being afraid, the next thing that, that, that comes when God is present is we see his truth. He says, this is the true gateway to heaven. I see this, I see it now. This is what the dream's about. I've been this desperate, grasping, ladder-climbing one, and actually now I see this is the gateway to heaven. I don't know whether you would articulate it like this, but we can. Jesus is the gateway to heaven. We see he's the true gateway. I've been building my own tower, my own ziggurat, my own way to steps to heaven. I've been building my own life, my own way. And we realize, we fall on our faces and say, he is this is the gateway to heaven. So the, the song by uh, Led Zeppelin says, she's buying a stairway to heaven. No, no, he's bought it. He has purchased a way. He is the way to heaven. And the last thing, and we're going to do this now. Band, why don't you come back? He says he takes the stone and puts it up and, and anoints it. And there's all debate about what's he doing here, what kind of worship is going on and stuff. But, but I think there's a clear, recognised moment where he says, this is the house of God. This stony, dusty, insignificant place is the house of God. It's where God dwells. So he sets up this pillar, this stone, and anoints it with oil. It's almost like he's saying, I know there's a, there's, this is an altar. There's a place of sacrifice. There's a place of, of, of broken body and shed blood. There's a place of sacrifice. There's a place of the poured out spirit. anoints it. This is a place of worship. And always, we should always come that we deal with our sin. And when you come, um, I love the Anglican uh, communion service where it says that they, we, we do not 
come to your table trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercy. So we come aware of our sin. But if you're a Christian, that is not your state. That's not where you're living, at the foot of the ladder. You're those who've been made right with him. So as you come and take bread and wine, think of that miraculous transformation of place. You're an earth-born person who's now a heavenly dweller. God is with you by his spirit. God is with you. He's here. He's here as you walk around, as you go about your business, as you work in the coffee shop, as you look after your kids. He's with you. He's with you where you are. Because he's come down and shared our humanity and taken us up to heaven to be where God dwells. That's our destiny. That's our home. That's our home now and it's our home in the future. So let's come. We're going to worship. I'll give you a chance to put your hands up, raise your hands for different things in a moment. But let's come and break bread together. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.